1: Anybody that's ever managed to do anything did it against the advice of someone or against the wishes of someone. So, you know, try it and if you make a mistake, learn from it and then do something else and try again.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where we talk to leading figures of creativity and innovation. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm joined with Jeremy Leslie, who is a designer and writer. He's also the owner of Mag Culture, which is a independent magazine shop based in London. Um, he's been in the industry for years and years, uh, and I don't want to not do justice to the kind of things he does day to day. So, I'm going to pass you over to Jeremy to just explain a little bit about what his uh, what he d- spends his time doing. I guess.
1: Uh, so yeah, I've been working about thirty years in magazines, starting off just doing basic design, working as a, as a junior in a studio. Um, today, I run MagCulture, which has a, is a sort of multifaceted organisation. We we have a design studio doing design and consultancy in, in editorial projects, and we have uh, the shop, and, the, and those are both on the same site here in in, in uh, central London. And um, then there's the website, which is kind of a vital part. It's kind of the first part of the business uh, where we review magazines on a daily basis. Uh, We review magazines, we talk to people making magazines. Uh, And then as well as that, we do uh, do events here and and at other sites around London and the world.
2: Fantastic. I've got lots of questions regarding your events and uh, the independent magazines and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, But my first question is, why magazines? Uh, if you're a designer you could have feasibly gone into anything um, what was it that attracted you to magazines in particular
1: early on in in my career i did try to sort of leave publishing or at least try other things and, and i found uh those other things like branding and such like although inevitably you end up crossing into those you cross you know the boundaries aren't kind of quite as tight as but so uh, you, you do even within publishing end up sort of doing branding projects but i did do some more sort of larger branding projects with big agencies and found that hugely frustrating. The time they took to come to any kind of point of completion or, or fruition was just frustrating. But one of the things I love on an ongoing basis for magazines is that they're fast. They, 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 they come and they go and they, there's a sort of spontaneity to them because, you know, there's another issue you can get it right next time so let's get on and get this one done. What got me into them in the first place was um, the content. So uh, I, I was really, as, uh, as a... Sort of teenager as really into music and so enemy was the sort of Bible and that was the the magazine that you used uh, because obviously there was no internet so that that was your source of information for what the new releases were what what bands were playing in London and where and such like so it was kind of like that that was that the, the, buying the enemy and the, with your fellow buyers you that was your sort of social network
2: so Enemy. Uh, it's, it used to be a more thick magazine that was in the shops and uh, you had to pay for it it was a mass uh, culture magazine and now it's uh, a kind of free mag that you yeah. receive on the underground does that upset you?
1: I think there's a real danger that you get stuck in a sort of nostalgic point of view that things have to be the way they always used to be and it's, it's an interesting comparison because whilst uh, the enemy, when I first was reading it was more important and sold more and it was for sale rather than be given out at tube stations it was also black and white with the old bit of spot red on shitty newsprint paper that smudged the ink and now it's kind of quite high quality not not quite glossy but it's full color and it's, it's a, so in some respects it's got better despite um, but obviously its place has been supplanted is this this sort of cultural importance has been supplanted by as as has everything to do with music by 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 digital services, so it, it now has to spread itself out. And it, although it always covered broader cultural, f- you know, film and books, and to a, a, a degree, I think now it's more of a general cultural magazine. It leads on music, but it's not exclusively music, so it's not as important as it used to be. But that you know, so be it.
2: Would that have been a last ditch decision to keep the brand alive?
1: Well, I think it was probably both. It was selling less and less. It, I mean, it is. It's difficult, I think, in, t- in today's context to understand how important it was and how, you know, the number of people of my generation, maybe up to about 10, 15 years younger than me, to had to buy that every Thursday morning. And if you didn't have it, you didn't know what to do that weekend. So it was, it was a vital part of people's growing up and living and everything. Uh, and that role disappeared so the fact that it's still around is kind of remarkable in any sense so but
2: has this lasted longer than many brands that have uh, yeah, existed absolutely. from that yeah. time I think
1: in a broader sense, sense there's always a kind of thing about oh it's awful when things change and or things close Or and I think actually some magazines they just have their time and they have to you have to move on you can't sort of keep them struggling along
2: bit of advice that I read that you would give to people is to uh, not start a magazine what do you say to people who ask you to start a magazine you say don't do it and i'd just like you to extrapolate that and expand on what you mean by that
1: i mean a lot of people ask for advice or help and then they say well you know what's your tip and I, I i do this thing where, where i say don't do it and i just see how they react they if they bounce back and say yeah but i want it and they, then they seem insistent and they're ready to do it but if they if they get, get worried about being told not to do it and if that kind of dampens their enthusiasm then they're probably not quite set to do it because you have to really you know it, it is a real commitment starting a magazine a yeah absolutely you have to be a die hard obsessed passionate person and and if being told not to do it doesn't you know if, if you can survive that then you're you know
2: what is the uh traditional kind of growth strategy for an indie magazine
1: in one sense there isn't one and that's the point i mean there there isn't a sort of an easy kind of singular way to do it i think uh, if you look at the publishing industry in a broader sense there was once sort of maybe two three essential kind of methods of of, of, of establishing them as a business and you might sort of balance one thing or the other to achieve it but but now there's multiple ways and ma- almost as many ways as there are magazines it's not i mean it's a slight exaggeration but so it's not really a, a traditional way i mean but but having said that the way the way to start it is to have a fund of some sort whether you've crowdsourced it or saved money or whatever you need to have a an amount of capital obviously to begin and then have some sort of plan for how you're going to maintain that
2: right and so is that typically do you find that people that start them that they have a pre-existing audience already typically or are people looking to start with nothing and then use it as their means of building an audience
1: well i would always recommend that they start online i mean that would be a you know start building an uh, an audience online and more than not people are doing that anyway and certainly one of the Uh, many interesting and and useful things about Kickstarter and the other um, crowdfunding mechanisms is that that they encourage you to start uh, to develop an audience before you've even printed something. Um, But certainly, I mean, part of the sort of engine behind the the growth of independent magazines is the number of people discovering their voice. I might not be actually on on a website that uh, literally kind of converts into their subsequent magazine project, but it's... um, could well be uh, uh, whether it's a, a, a blog or Facebook or, or, or any of the social media networks. It, it, it could they can discover their voice in, in a different vehicle online, and then through that want to move into kind of editorial voice in print.
2: I noticed that uh, your favourite magazines on your website says it's the New Yorker and Monoculture. Could you explain what it is about these magazines in particular that uh, you know you're inspired by or that yeah. you like?
1: Those two magazines are very different magazines. One's a kind of august, traditional American big magazine that's been successful and very well regarded so it's not maybe particularly original or surprising to select it, but it is a great example of a magazine it isn't it's more of a state of mind it's its own world rather than uh, a magazine about X or Y it's a kind of, you know, if, if something's in, if there's an article about someone or something in a New Yorker and you don't think you're interested in that subject chances are that would be the piece that will get you interested in that subject because it will be the definitive article the definitive interview profile whatever. It's justifiably held up as a great example um, whereas Monoculture is a tiny German published magazine although it's in English um, uh, it's A5 it uh, has 30-40 pages each issue it varies slightly but and as the name suggests it's about one artist each issue so it's the other end of the scale but it's just as as focused and um, deliberate in, in, uh, in its in its content.
2: Whereas I noticed, you may know the the name of it, it's um, slipped out of my mind, but there was a magazine, I think it's about cotton wool buds this month, and, oh, yes. and it's a different subject every month. And I imagine that that's really hard to get a consistent readership to, you know, especially for your first X number of issues until you can get this thing off the ground.
1: It's interesting. I think, I mean, in monoculture, I think actually, there are people... Like, I mean, I've got a more or less complete set, and certainly I, I, I try and keep my, my collection going. They, they, they get published quite sporadically. Sometimes there isn't one for a while, and there's just recently been a couple back to um, so, back. But, but I think a lot, a lot of people probably only buy the one or two because they're really into Brian Eno or they, they're a big fan of Makes Stewart's choreography. So probably, there are people that just buy the one that interests them for the subject. With, with the, the magazine you're referring to, it's called Ordinary. Uh, and it's just a series of double-page spread pit photographs which use the object, and the object is fastened to the front of the issue. So they've done... Um, they did a set of plastic cutlery for the first issue, so plastic, knife, fork, and spoon, uh, was attached in a rubber, uh, rubber, uh, plastic bag on the cover, and the second one was a kind of washing-out sponge, and now they've done the cotton buds. Um, I, I don't know whether people collect that.
2: Do you have to... Is it... Uh very wealthy off-person's pet project to do stuff like that if they're releasing them in any numbers
1: uh no i think it's i mean often a project like that in particular is is uh if if you know um the agency kessels kramer uh it's, it's a person it's an art director that works there and it's very typical of their kind of output generally so i think it's for them for the art director concern i think it's it's just a very enjoyable side project i don't think anyone's making any money from it i don't think there's you know it's particularly ambitious in terms of wanting to take over the world of independent publishing but it certainly offers a a, a, it's very popular here people you know we get them in and they sell um people laugh they love it they they respond really well to it and so in the sense you know we get we have a lot of very serious magazines and they have their space and i think that magazine's quite a sort of throwaway um Joke, yeah, not throwaway joke. That's belittles it. But it's but by comparison to one of the serious ones, it's a very kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek, amusing thing, and people get it and they
2: like it. Well, now you tell me that it's it's an art director that that creates it. It's kind of an experimentation for him to see if he can turn these things and make them beautiful or interesting and yeah. uh, an ordinary object, right? Yeah, and and I mean, I,
1: I can't remember how many pages, but I maybe mean, maybe there's sort of 12, 16 images, and they're very bright. Um, saturated, vivid. I mean, it's it's like a magazine called Toilet Paper. So, so that, but that's that's less themed. I mean, there's you know the point of this is with the cotton buds. Every, every image has the cotton buds in them, and they're used you know in amusing ways. You know, uh, so you know every every picture makes you laugh. I, I, I think people buy it. They buy it themselves. They probably buy it, to take home and show their friends. It's a, you know.
2: Well, this style. it wasn't the first time I'd seen the magazine in the store, mm-hmm. which goes to show that you know I've seen it out and about somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. And there's lots of magazines and can't say that for all of them yes. so there's a certain appeal there
1: i, I also quite like the way you know, it's sort of in a sense that, that having that cover mount is sort of um parodies the kind of mainstream magazine you know the summer issues where you get a pair of flip-flops or a paperback fastened to the front cover of the magazine you know it's, it's, yeah. it is for you know there's lots of elements to it and part of it is it's a kind of it's a parody of that
2: So you very briefly there touched on kind of magazine conventions, the fact that they may include some flip-flops and that kind of thing. One question I had was based around this idea of um, everything on the page being there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of reminiscent of the the product design that comes to my mind is always Dita Rams and his 10 principles of good design. Um, But then... contrary to that i feel like magazines are often that it's a bit more of a not throwaway culture but because it's a new issue's coming out every month it feels like a good opportunity to experiment and push the boundaries Mm. and that that necessarily should lead to more superfluous design and um that kind of thing where do you stand on that and what is it what's typical for the industry and i guess are there any conventions that you like in particular
1: this is where the sort of two sides of what i do kind of Diverge because, uh, in terms of what, uh, when I'm making magazines or working with people making magazines, I'm absolutely of the uh, view that if something's on the page, it has to be doing something. It has to have a role. You know, I, I don't like gratuitous decoration, or but but I love experimentation and playfulness and sort of taking the stuff that has to be there and challenging how it how it's there. So it's not it's not that there's one sort of simple way of doing it. It's just you know, to, to take a, an example that often comes up if you've there, there's a certain sort of uh, amount of uh, basic kind of visual grammar I call it or sort of the makeup of a page where if you've got a photograph and you have a caption you have to make the two relate somehow it has to be clear that you know that this is the photo and you have to read you know you're going to get more by reading this caption from the photo if you read it and the, the two are linked and uh, to state the obvious but if they're on opposite pages and separate from each other it's going to be quite hard and you know you're not helping the reader make that link but if they're next to each other then you are making that link but if if, you know sometimes if if, if you've got any lack of confidence about whether or not it's clear you put a little arrow from the caption to the picture and to to my mind as soon as you put that arrow in then that's that's a proof of a failure of design because the arrow shouldn't be necessary, it should be obvious that the the two are linked and as soon as you have to put an arrow in it's because there's a problem that the arrow has to solve extraneous element that doesn't have to be there, but if if a magazine does it, I, I can't have it in the shop or whatever. That's a different thing altogether.
2: I was going to say because a lot of people that create these magazines may maybe young professionals that aren't necessarily clued up on all the conventions of mm-hmm. traditional and good yeah. editorial yeah, yeah, design. Yeah, yeah.
1: And and more part of it. I mean, that's that's you know the, all these things are there to be challenged and, and and tested and you know as as we as we move through different kind of technological uh, setups and and um, processes, things change. Of course, you know um you know i i i went through quite a rigorous typographic training when i was studying and so to me the idea of, of putting together a magazine and having something on uh, on the page that is 9.15 point size is just I would either make it nine or nine and a half but that's me being traditional i, I mean I, you know, I know you know a younger designer will just think well it works at 9.15 whatever it is and
2: as a as a magazine evolves and, and builds up a bit of a readership, is there a transition in its growth uh, in its? Well, I say its growth, but it, so if it goes from zero readership and then all of a sudden it's got five thousand, ten thousand readers, is there certain uh, pressures that come upon it? And I ask that from the perspective of say a company or a design, um, a tech startup, where the initial user base is is of one ilk. But then, as it becomes a little bit more mass market, mm-hmm. things have to change. Yeah. Does that happen with magazines? I mean,
1: the, the difference between the situations you described there I mean, generally, with the start-I mean, obviously, a start-up, once, once something's going, or whether it's a, an app or a piece of technology, it can iterate and it will iterate and develop. But the thing with the magazine is, is it comes in specific drops. You know, it might be biannual or quarterly or, either, or even more regular. But every time you've got an opportunity between the two issues to make changes. And people do and should, you know, one of the uh, sort of key characteristics of a, mag- of a magazine is, is you know, dealing with how much, that, how much change should happen from issue to issue. Because on the one hand, a reader uh, expects familiarity and, and wants familiarity because it is, you know, they're joining a, if they're going to buy a second issue, they want, they're expecting a certain amount of the same. You know, that's why you know they they're bought into it. They're joining a club. That club is a familiar club, and it's a familiar world. But at the same time, it's good to have change there as well and, and some surprises. So that balance between change and surprises is, is very important. And as it grows, then it becomes a sort of challenge to manage that because um, people expect a, a regular, familiar look and feel. And there are certain things you might do. You know, so, some magazines are, are so tightly and well tightly crafted and well uh evolved that you know there are certain people you could put on the front cover or certain things you could do that would completely just kill them dead it would kill the mood it would kill you know so you have to be careful with those. but it's um it does get more challenging as you grow and develop and and, and sell more yes but uh, at the same time that's you know that's why you're doing it so you have to there's a challenge you have to rise to
2: when i was growing up in i'm from north devon and i was into the skateboarding culture mm-hmm. and i remember seeing the first issues of vice mm-hmm. which has now become you know huge uh, yeah. would would you consider that you i guess you wouldn't even consider that an indie magazine at this point
1: i mean this is the way it comes to a, a, an often sort of discussed area is what is an independent magazine yeah. um I've had some very interesting discussions with people about that, perhaps most interestingly, most notably with um, Ben Easton, who's one of the editors of The White Review, a literary magazine, and he has a very clear point of view on this, and that is that actually it's not about being independent or about being mainstream, which are the two kind of opposite poles, if you like. Um, It's more about whether you're big or small. Um, And in that respect, it's more easier to understand that started out as a small magazine Has it grown to be very big and beyond beyond just a magazine um, I mean they, you know, I sometimes wonder why they keep the magazine going but I think because it, because of course it's now, it's not just a multi, multi-headed uh, series of websites but they they own ID magazine, they own, they've just bought Garage, the fashion magazine um, and they're launching all sorts of new channels, they're launching, just launching a TV channel on Sky over here and they've got a TV channel, I think, I don't know which One in the states, but so it's much more than just the magazine. But I think you know their heart is still there in terms of the magazine, so they they keep the magazine going.
2: Is that the biggest success story as far as independent magazines have gone, uh, on the perspective of fine, just finances alone? Because it's it's typical in the independent magazine scene, from as far as I can see, for people just to do this purely for the love.
1: I guess that's probably uh, an extraordinary example of what can happen if you. I mean, you know, I, I, I think. Vice when it launched, was just a kind of it was a way to have fun and just do something and see what we can do with it. And but then it, at some point, it very you know relatively quickly became a much more serious project. And Shane Smith and the original people all just sort of went for it big time. And they you know they've got investment from I, I forget who Fox Disney. So on on that purely financial basis, the fact that. Uh, Vice has sold shares out to bigger organisations. It's no longer independent in the purest sense. But on the other hand, you know, is something like Monocle, which is a, a very successful monthly magazine. I mean, that, that technically is independent, but, I mean, it's is it, isn't it too big to be independent? I don't know. So, I mean, I think small and big is perhaps a better way to look at these things. And, you know, it's a easier... You still have to, in theory, have a line at which the small becomes big, but it's easier to you get less concerned because the, the, the idea of independence is for some publishers very important but the, you know it raises all sorts of questions of well, what are you independent of
2: as someone with a, an aesthetic sensibility and a, an interest in quality design for example a lot of independent magazines are beautiful and they they have they hold a lot of tangible value to say the design community but then put them in a mass market setting and people would much rather grab grazia or or you know stuff with big bold pink yeah. Like bubbles and all kinds of stuff all over it. I guess which magazines in mass market culture do you think are doing interesting things? And which ones, is there any off the top of your mind that you're like, I wish I could get my hands on that and improve it?
1: The first ever uh, post that I put onto the Mag Culture website was about Grazia. That was the magazine of that moment that struck me as being worthy of writing about um, because it was doing something new at the time. It was bringing it, it was kind of an upmarket but popular approach to publishing a weekly woman's magazine which was sort of unheard of at the time. So it was, it was interesting. So it was, and I thought it you know, it had there was something to be said about it. Um, so so and that's a good example of the kind of extreme, you know, and it's very different to a lot of the magazines in this shop. Um, and I wouldn't sell Grazia, uh, but then I know it's very available and part of the reason part of the reason I got involved in retail is because I was writing about all sorts of magazines and people would email saying, oh, This is great, but I live I'm not going to say anywhere because I'll offend yeah. them, but in the middle of nowhere somewhere and it's difficult for me. You know, I can't pick up a copy of X or Y. So, you know, so I start, began to sell stuff online. And it, it's not really the point to start selling here because that's, you know, people, you know, if, yeah, if you yeah, want Gracia. it, you know where to get it. Sure. The point is to be selling stuff that's a little harder to get. Um, and then and now increasingly some of those magazines are much easier to get. So things like Delayed Gratification, The Gentlewoman, Uh, Serial, you see a lot more around, but but they're still valid. You know, I I wouldn't, I I can't see a magazine getting to the point where it's sort of deemed so successful that I can't sell it here. The point is, you know, if we've been selling it and it's popular, I'll carry on selling it.
2: The magazine typical kind of sales convention is sticker celebrity on the front cover that people recognize. Um, I'm just wondered if you could uh, talk about what you believe good cover design is.
1: I think readers are much more sophisticated than they're given credit to, and it's interesting your point about the, you know, something like, and we picked on Grazia, but you also mentioned Hello or Okay, um, uh, and and how they, you know, these these are very busy, shouty, fluorescent, multicolored, multi These are, these are very busy covers uh, that just work on the basis, um, uh, you know, generally their price is, is is featured very large, the front cover, and that, and, and often that's. The, that's what it's about so there are different ways you 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 kind of tickle people you engage people and on the mainstream you know research will tell you that you've got like somewhere eight seconds to grab someone's attention so if you follow that route then then you're going to end up with a wall of magazines in uh, on the shelves in, in in wh smiths or whatever the news agent is that you might have to visit and they're all going to look the same so they're all they're all making fighting the same fight um of course, things have to work commercially in that environment, uh, but I sometimes think things go too far and they become too, too follow me, follow me. Um, so the challenge is to, is to stand out from that. But I think it's, it is about sort of doing things conceptually and cleverly to, to, to appeal to to your audience. I think the the, the but the, I mean the other challenge around all of that is 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 and a lot of designers working, art directors working in, in the mainstream magazines will tell you this is that the perhaps the toughest thing they have to deal with is the fact that they're not not—they're not striving to appeal to their core readership. They're not, you know, if, if you're going to read a Vogue or, or L or whatever, there's a lot of subscribers and people that are committed and always want to pick a, up a copy of that magazine. So you're not, on the newsstand, you're not trying to appeal to the people that always read it, you're trying to appeal to the other people. So it's kind of this really complicated character where you're trying to be as true to... The brand as you can be, but you're actually trying to speak to people that don't think they like your brand. But, but I mean, I, you know, I, I I do think you know there's. So on the, on the newsstand, it's just it's, it's really really difficult. It's 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 a battle, and and obviously a lot of magazines are suffering from for, in terms of sales. What's interesting is that on the subscription side now, which are, you know, um, I mean, I think you know on, well, on on the subscription side, people are making second covers where they are more. Um, if not quite of the level of George Lois or, or whoever, but they're they're trying a bit harder to make something which is is a beautiful item which will s- sit on the coffee table in the same way that a, a small magazine might or independent magazine. Um, I think, you know, I mean, my my reading of the general situation is, is 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 that I think you know magazines went through a huge boom, in the same way financially and in terms of sales and, and launches and the ease with which it was possible to fill pages of advertising. They went through a boom just as property and banks and various other uh, entities and organisations did and that came to a stuttering halt at the same time as it all came to a halt and it's, it's a struggle to, to come back from that. But, but they, we did end up with too many magazines and I think you know we're going to end up with fewer magazines and it'll be healthier for that because those magazines will be better and it'll be less cutthroat and things will calm down a little
2: bit. Uh, if you were someone starting on a shoestring... And you had to give some advice in terms of um you know what's the cheapest but best quality paper stock and and binding method and uh you know those kind of questions for someone and university students are looking to create their own independent mags where would you start if you were in that position
1: my advice to somebody who wants to launch a magazine is probably three or four things i would say one is um, start as small as you can and so whatever money you've got put in fact, i go backstage. Try and build an audience online, as, as as discussed earlier. Try try and develop an audience and test the audience and see if you've got some, uh, if your idea or your subject or your way of dealing with that subject appeals. So that's first. Then, once you want, you're ready to actually go into print, um, start as small as you can. In the sense that it's, if you've got, uh, for the sake of argument, I mean, you know, one thousand pound won't cover. A big print bill but say you've got a thousand pounds uh it's much better to put that thousand pounds to making 100 great magazines than it is to put put it towards 1000 not so good magazines it'd much better so, so i mean small in that sense sense produce fewer copies and get them to the people that matter and get get it discussed and and, and establish that you're you've got you're doing something interesting and then you sold out so you, you know you don't have to run around saying, "Oh, we only made a hundred copies." You run around saying, "Oh, we sold out our first issue."
2: Are there any market sectors? So, for example, you've got sports magazines and fashion mags and design magazines. Is there a sector of magazine of magazines that sell uh, disproportionately to others?
1: There, there, there are certainly sort of trends that you notice, and it's something you know. So, so the, the Mag Culture Journal has been publishing reviews for ten years now, ten and a half years. Uh, so there have always been sort of trends that you can notice in terms of stuff that you get sent. But the interesting thing about having the shop is that you can see much more closely, so not just trends in terms of what people are producing.
0: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: You about trends in terms of what people are buying. Um, and so you do see flashes of interest in certain things. Um, which I'll come to but, but perhaps the I mean I get asked about sales and what sells well and uh, oh, it's always what people want to know actually what's perhaps the most interesting thing is that everything sells we've had probably about 450 different magazines through at one time or the other because because so many of them are either biannual or quarterly or, so, so you'll sell out of one and you won't have another issue for a couple of weeks so you put something else on sale so whilst we generally have about 330 to 350 in stock we've probably Stopped about 450 over the nine months, uh, different titles. And literally, there's about four or five magazines that, you know, two months later are still sat there and no-one's bought one. They, they all sell. There's somebody who's interested in, in find something special about everything.
2: If you don't mind me asking again, this is another question because they may well be competitors, but are there other... Like, in London, this is the place for coming to get a magazine... Um, as far as especially the independents. Are there other kind of... Uh, this is, I guess, how would I describe it? It's probably world-class as far as the independent shops are concerned. Are there, like, other shops around the world that are notable?
1: I, th- I think the... I mean, the, the the state of of magazine retail is is part of the problem with the industry generally. Um, so I think if you go into, into the big high street stores or, or your local news agent or the supermarket with a rack um the magazines are all piled on top of each other they're not often sort of out of order or sort of upside down or back to front. I mean they're, they're, no one's taking care of them you know they're, of course there are always exceptions but there is you know I think I think what was once um a thriving market has been you know let I think in some aspects the distributors the retailers everyone's sort of seen sort of let 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 it drop a bit um what we've tried to do is is you know I, the magazines that we're selling i know a lot the people making them have put an awful lot of effort into making them and so we're, we put an awful lot of effort into showing them off and, and to their best um uh, aspects in the best way so everything is full face um we give them space and we respect them we look after them um as to your point i mean i'm, I'm very proud of the shop and I, i'm 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 it's been a pleasure to see it work and see people. I mean, one of the things I want people to do is be able to come in and browse and take time and not, you know, not feel rushed. People are encouraged to. People can take pictures. I mean, the the only stipulation is that you know, please, you know, please, Insta or Twitter it. But I'm also realistic. I mean, you know, there are other shops in London, and it's very nice of you to say that this is, you know, a leader or whatever. And that, and I hope that's how people regard it. But. You know, if you know your magazines, you can get, you know, most of these magazines in various shops in London. There are, there have been shops. They just, they tend to be um, not exclusively magazines. There'll be magazines and books or magazines and coffee or, you know, a mixture of different things.
2: Because I, I agree with you. I've been to some of the other magazine shops that are also fantastic, but they do present them in a certain way that doesn't suggest that that, that is the the whole sole purpose of the of yeah. the shop. And I was just... The community, I'm sure, is very supportive of one another and I was interested to know if I'm in New York and I would stop by this place because it's the best place I know of or...
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely, there is. And I think that's... So, I mean, one of the... You know, one of the very... I mean, many reasons why, in the end, I did open the shop. But one of them was that I felt that London didn't have a proper showcase for these magazines Um, and other cities did. So if you... And and the, the... If anyone knows their magazine shops in Europe, they will and if anyone's visited here and visited Do You Read Me in Berlin, they will see the parallels. I mean, absolutely, there's there's um, the, the black backgrounds, the shelves, and the, and the lighting, et cetera. You know, I did my research, but there, there there are a lot of cities in Europe have really good singular magazine stores like that, um, and I felt London deserved one, and, that, you know, it wasn't, I mean, I, it, I've been, I'm from London, I've grown up in London, and I know where to go to get magazines, and I know that not all the magazines I sell, but most, you know, a good majority of them are available in London elsewhere. But the point is you have to go to several different places if you actually want to get them all together. And on top of that, there's probably a good sort of 15% that are only available here. So so I felt like, you know, someone, it was time someone did it here, and if I didn't do it, I was going to be really pissed off when someone else did it, <laughs> and so I've done it. And uh, But at the same time, you know, then also um, Tyler Brulé's open kiosk cafe over in West London in Paddington, which is a much smaller space, but kind of trying to do the similar boost to, to, to magazines in the same way so I don't think uh, this is alone in any way I think and there are other shops around uh, you know that that, that that are all you know we all know each other and we're part of it and we support each other.
2: You say you know one another for people that are looking to kind of research it and uh, look at some notable figures uh, there's some names of individuals that have kind of Maybe they were inspiration to you, or maybe they're on the same uh, tangent as you, and of the, of the same era, and they're respectable in their own right. And I mean,
1: I go so so. I mean, a sort of seminal moment in in the development of mag culture and the, and the ideas that uh, are coming to play now was an event I was involved with in Luxembourg in two thousand and seven and two thousand and nine, and that was a conference called Colophon. Um, I was um, a couple of years before that. I went. I, One of the first events I was asked to speak at was uh, in Barcelona called CMYK, and that was a local celebration of print culture. Um, And when I was there, I met a guy called Mike Kodinger, who subsequently has become a client and friend, Um, and he's based in Luxembourg, and he had this idea to do a three-day conference celebration of independent publishing as part of Luxembourg's um, 2007 uh, uh, European City of Culture status. And he got funding for it, and we did it. And that was an extraordinary event where we got thousands of people. We got really good speakers, and we did it again two years later in 2009. And that that kind of solidified something. In ter- that that sort of the ripples still go through, and certainly in terms of what I'm doing. Uh, but Mike has a publishing business in um, in Luxembourg. Uh, I still work for them on a consultancy basis. But he's doing um, great work there. And Andrew Lizowski, the third person, is is in the States. And he's doing some very interesting stuff in the digital space. So, that, so I mean, though the three of us and, and everyone around it, um, you know, there's people people attended that. They've subsequently set up, set up a number of events around Europe and the world. But there's IndieCon in Hamburg. There was a thing called Facing Pages in the Netherlands, which I think might have stopped. But that was definitely, that came out of Colophon. Um, uh, there's a big event in munich uh, cred um and there's my conference which i do annually which is coming up now uh there's one in singapore which i help curate and so and and all the people making these all you know obviously support each other and know each other and and you know to a degree a lot of the same people speak at them but you know the and a lot you know they are talking to different audiences and you're inspiring people to start magazines
2: I think it's good that there's the people that champion it you know because it gives the young young people someone to look up to and to to ask questions to and to Yes
1: yes and I think you know there are, and there are lots of questions to be asked and, and that you, know, you know generally uh, around the, around the business and the financial side but um, you know it's hugely satisfying to sort of have events and we do events here at the shop and then you know you find out somebody's planning to launch something because they heard a talk or because they got inspired by something or uh, and I should mention I mean there's a great book just been published by Anger Lewis, a design journalist uh called So You Want to Publish a Magazine.
2: It's a very good book that because it, it show is. it shows you the various models for um different publications the print run and yeah. it just gives you a good gist.
1: Yeah it, it's a really good gist but it also it, it doesn't it doesn't direct you saying that this is how it's done it's you know you hear different things from different people but they're people that have done it and this is the way that someone's done this and this is the way someone's done that but they've done it completely different ways but they're both valid but so that, that's more you know valuable than just being told where you go from one to two to three to four to five you know it's, it's not it's not as easy as that It is bloody hard work to, to launch a magazine so these people have all figured out their own way to do it and now you know learn from them but then you have to figure out your own way to
2: do it slight tangent but i'm going to talk about um your contributions to Creative Review and I'd noticed that you'd written there for quite a while or you'd um certainly published a number of articles yes. through there. Is that a practice that you do a lot, that you contribute writing to the various magazines?
1: Uh yes, I have done. I mean actually the I haven't written for Creative Review for what? I don't know, two, or three years or something. But at one period I was writing a monthly column, um, which was very enjoyable. And then uh, I've written, for, you know, but things like that are limited time. They have to be. I mean, otherwise, you know, you do run out of time. And I find now when I commission people to write, sometimes they get to through a certain number of columns. They say, "Well, maybe we need to slow this down or find someone else." Um, but in the sort of things that happen, um, so you get asked to do things. Um, so it was post wasn't No, it was around about the time of colophon and stuff. Uh, and I'd done the book Mag Culture and. I, I can't remember exactly when I started writing for Creative View, but I did regularly publish for them, uh, write for them. And then, I, you know, I've written for other magazines. I did done for I for um, Computer Arts.
2: I ask because for people that don't necessarily want to start a magazine, but they would like to contribute either through writing or creative, what would be... Um, uh, do you have any advice with regards to who they should approach...
1: To approach magazine cold is is absolutely normal to try and find get hold of an email and or to, or to ask for an introduction of someone that knows someone. But um, you know, I think you have to. I mean, l- largely people making magazines are very positive and supportive, and interested, and they're always looking for new people to. I mean, they, you know, it's 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 a it's a you know it's a content business. You need stuff. And and. and um, so people want to hear from people, so you know I don't think it should be a problem. I mean, it doesn't mean to say you're you're automatically going to get picked up and used, but if you're keen and you want to do it, then this should I would expect you to be listened to. And I do think I mean you know this goes back to the first question about how how did I get involved in magazines? You know I I've always been interested in the writing and content side and uh, and indeed the reading side, and I think you know if uh, that for me i get, I get the most out of that side of graphics I think you know in a sense in that respect you know be, the, the the idea of authorship as well as design is is, is a fascinating one and an interesting you know it, it tests you even further than just designing i think so i'd encourage if designers to try and and write you know start a blog start, start, you know find a voice and then figure out where you know i mean some of the columnists now are created for you guy um, like daniel gray who who but was blogging a lot and tweeting a lot and got picked up by creative review on the basis of some of his his, his small comments and, and posts that he had self-published, and that's how it happens.
2: Just for people to understand, like, what is the process a magazine goes through to go from ideation to execution of issue one, for example? Or, in fact, let's not say issue one, let's say issue 50, because by that point you've got a process pretty well written down or solidified.
1: I mean, of, of course it involves a lot of... Um, a lot of parties and limousines and, and, and uh, red carpets and uh, it's a high life. But sometimes, sometimes you have to do some work. It's it's a it's a really tough process, but it's a great process that can be really enjoyable. So, I mean, it comes. You know, if if you're on issue 50, you, you know what your magazine's about. Uh, you know what its parameters are, so you know what what you're covering. And then so it starts off with um, uh, effectively an editorial meeting where you sit down and you discuss what's going to go into the issue. And, and people around the table and if it's a small magazine it might be two three of you if it's a big magazine it could be 20 of you um with some people responsible for different sections or different parts of the magazine but you but you you sit down and you discuss what's going to go into that issue you're planning so you talk about um who who are the big subjects to be covered who uh, what's i mean it obviously depends on what uh, subject you're covering but they're very you know, all sorts of different thing, filters to go through but then you come up with a list of possible content and then you hone it and you hone it you then have and this is one of the most important things about magazines is that you have a limited amount of space and that's a you know in the in the digital era is incredibly important because if you've got a website you can just keep pouring stuff into it to, you know you don't have to think about you know whether it's too much or too little you just have a space okay uh, in the magazine you will have a uh, anything from possibly 16 pages up to 200 and whatever pages and so you you then have to flat plan it you figure out so this is this is this is our main big story so we'll give it 20 pages in the middle and there'll be some short pages up front and we uh, we do or we don't have advertising if we've got advertising have to fit that in and, and you you allocate all the content to the pages uh, and then you have to actually start executing the pages and at that point some of the things, you know, that, that great story in the middle that you gave twenty two pages to twenty pages to, uh, oh god, it's got some fantastic pictures we'll make it thirty pages or the the shoot didn't work out, it will have to be twelve pages or whatever. So it all kind of concertines up and increases and and so you have to allocate the pages back to something else and it's a kind of great big jigsaw puzzle. Uh, as a whole, but then each individual page is a jigsaw puzzle. As, as you, as the designer and the editor work together and try and fit everything onto the page, etc. But then you reach some sort of accommodation through all those different parts, um, and then you're about to, go to, you're about to go to print, and you have a panic, and you have to redo the front cover, and then you have to redo the front cover again, and it gets late, and etc. But but in, in a, in a, you know, at some point, and the vital thing on a magazine. Some point you've you've proofed it and proofed it and checked it and checked it and you're happy and you press print you send the PDF down to the printer, and there's nothing else you can do. That's a very very brief overview. Is that?
2: I read online that you receive upwards of thirty new magazines and uh, is it per month? And I'm I, we may have covered this to some degree, but I'm interested to know some of the decisions of the things that go. Yep, this is a magazine that I feel is good. And these are some of the ones that less so, like what makes you put them in a yes or no bucket?
1: The basic kind of, my basic obsession, love, passion for magazines, comes from the way that, that words and images are combined on the page using design in a way that is engaging or surprising or um, different or, you know... Um, and you know for for me magazine design and and magazine creation there there are two parts to it one and we've crossed over a little bit of this but one is the sort of basic kind of functional aspect is you know can you read it Um, does it work do I understand what it is etc the basic stuff but then above and beyond that you then have to give it character so you know if you take uh, say um, you take two two football magazines and they've both done a feature on a particular player and They've both gone to completely different ways of doing it. And that fascinates me. You know, there isn't a right way, there's just two different ways to do it. And one person will think one is better, and one person will think another is better. Uh, in term, but but there's also possible for one to have gone completely wrong and be just, you know, sometimes it's not right, sometimes it's badly done, sometimes it's bad pictures, or it's badly written, or you can't read it. Or I saw a magazine just the other week, which, which was, you know, to all intents and pers- purposes, it looked fantastic. But when you actually opened it, the, they 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 typeset all the all all the, all the words in like kind of six or seven point. I mean, you know, I need glasses to read, but you know, even if you've got twenty twenty eyesight, it's going to be a struggle to read that. So it's flawed, you know, and that's a really tragic flaw. They'll make they'll sort it out for next time. um but that's one of those things that, that, you know, that's one of those functional things that goes wrong.
2: You talk about how you've just started a podcast. We spoke about that yeah, very yeah. briefly before this interview. Um, firstly, what is that podcast?
1: Well, it's called Magcast. <laughs>
2: um, I'm going to go into we've uh, the quickfire stuff now. I guess yeah. we've, we've ploughed through quite a bit. What are some of your favourite brands and why?
1: Well, I sort of. I mean, thinking about this, I mean, it sort of comes down to, I guess, the, there are th- things, there are habits, and things that I do, and things that I buy because I've, I've had a good, a good uh, relationship in the past. So, if I think of it in terms of what clothes I wear, then you know, it's Converse, acne jeans, and Howie's T-shirts. That's my uniform. So that's that's easy. Even those are, but then I'll. Um, and this is this is so. I, I mean, I do. I have a commercial relationship with Vitsu Shelving here in the shop, but you know, the reason I have that is because I really believe in that system. I think it's a fantastic design shelving system, and they also are a very conscientiously organized and managed company that do things properly. Um, uh, so, I'm very happy to be associated with them, and I think it's the same with you know. And then, and then I don't know. I mean, they're you know. There are brands that probably use more than anything every day, things at like Apple, but, I mean, I can't say, that, you know... I, I admire the design side. Uh, I love Margaret Howell. I think, that, you know, that her clothes are great, and I think the, the retail expression of the clothes are, are very very strong. And there's some other... You know, John Lewis, same again, I think, partly, you know, as as a case study of the opposite side of the of the world from Apple. You know, I think, you know, uh, they, they look after their staff well, and, and all the staff are kind of minority shareholders in the business i think that's healthy for 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 me i'm a great believer in um you get what you pay for and so you know if you're willing to i'd I'd much rather buy one of something at a premium than have 10 of them at at, at a tenth of the price
2: favorite book or and website uh
1: favorite the the uh, book the book that i always come back to is and the one that i've read most times is slaughterhouse five by um kurt Vonnegut which is his first book, and I don't know if you know it. He he survived the bombing of Dresden in the Second World War, and it's a kind of imaginary kind of self-exploration of of, of that experience um, and the, and how he can help. It's almost help, helped him deal with it. It's a fantastic book that kind of deals with the reality of it, but also goes off in a kind of extraordinary, kind of, gets pigeonholed into science fiction, which puts some people off, but it's not, it's better than most science fiction. Um, and it ha- has this great, he has this great kind of uh, American, liberal, sort of, you know, dealing with, dealing with the shit that, the world, you know, that, that you get dealt with. And, and so a lot of the, the, the really bad parts of the stories that he tells ends with uh, just the, the three words, so it goes, and that, I, I like that rhythm to that book, and that's fantastic. So that's something I go back to often. Website is really hard because I find um, so much of what we uh, interact with online is, is so bad. But I would say uh, the the government site that was redone by um, GovUK, the GovUK sites, and how, how they made a website. They brought together all these multiple kind of sides to government into one mega site that actually, in all my dealings with it, it's worked quite well.
2: We moved on from books, but I would also like to use the opportunity just to name drop yours. Um, and maybe if you just give like a, a Cliff Notes uh, overview of what each of those books are about.
1: There's, there's a number of them, but i may just go over the two recent ones. So the Modern magazine came out in 2013. It was published by Lawrence King, who just celebrated their 25th birthday. Happy birthday to them. Might include them as a brand, actually. Just to go into that, if we have got time, it's it it, It's really satisfying to see, and it's not because I have a relationship with them, but the, it's satisfying to see an organisation like that, which, when I first started working with them at the end of the 90s, and they were, they were a small company trying to do stuff, and they've become, despite everything that you know the world that we live in where you know apparently no one buys books of course they do but and this is the living proof but and also they you know they've developed the creative side of what they do and they you know that has been the engine to a really successful business they make the books they make now are far superior to the ones they were making 20 years ago in all aspects of format and, and presentation and the physical item they you know they've got it they've, they you know they the and it's fantastic, fantastic to see life. them grow uh, but it's, I think, you know, they can be congratulated on, on managing to to balance kind of strong creativity and financial success. Um, but so, yeah, so that book was published in 2013, The Modern Magazine, and that was an overview of sort of the last sort of five to ten years of magazines with the interviews with, the, with the, a lot of the leading practitioners of that time. So that was that. And then, and then more recently... Uh, Last year I published uh, Independence, which was uh, a series of interviews with magazine makers. So 12 people that are, well, 11 people making magazines and Steve Watson that runs Stack that supports and, and helps promote those magazines. And, and that, whereas Modern Magazine, it, it had interviews and essays about various aspects of publishing, but it was a very pictorial book as well. Uh, independence was very it was self-published uh, it was our first book we produced at mag culture and uh, published at mag culture and it was very deliberately it didn't show you the magazines it was talking to people about how they went about making the magazines and what they had learned
2: yeah it's great i mean yeah uh, if anyone knows how to publish a good book i expect it to yourself <laughs> after so many years in the uh, editorial industry uh, are there any movies or documentaries that delve into publishing that you would recommend people check out
1: there's the September issue there's The Devil Wears Prada they're about publishing I'm not sure there are any great other examples I mean there's a few blockbuster movies like that there's not Yeah, there's the odd TV show which tries to there was the one about the Tatler and they did a bit with Vogue recently that tried to show you behind the scenes but they're all completely fake and not very satisfying Uh,
2: I've I've said here what events you recommend people go to you you did name drop quite a few but you also run events here Um, maybe if you could talk a little bit about that
1: one of the things I wanted to do when I opened the shop was make sure the shop was of a scale and set up that we could have have events there, here Um, and so we do that, we have our own events one a month called Mag Culture Meets and we invite uh, a magazine maker whether it be an editor, a publisher or an art director each time, who has a new issue of a magazine that we sell uh, to talk about it, so we get about 40-50 people along uh, and they do a 20-25 minute presentation about the new issue and you know, they might go into more historical aspects, but fundamentally they're talking about the new issue and giving insight into it. And then there's a Q&A and people, you know, we've, there's a few beers and it's, it's very relaxed. And so We've got a little kind of group of regular people that come to that. And we've done, we've got the 11th one of those. So, uh, and the next one of those is going to be Mad Culture Meets The Gorman. So Dave Lane, the um, creative director and co-founder of The Gorman, will be coming along to present uh, his, I think it's the eighth issue. I've lost count, I think it's the 8th issue, uh, on Thursday the 6th of October, so it's next week, it's got a gorgeous cover, it's got this amazing cover of a girl with a, with a hot dog shot by the legendary um, Harry Peccinotti who was the art director of Nova back in the 60s and is a, a very famous photographer art director who, who is still working but we don't get to see much of his work but anyway it's great to see him doing a front cover of a, of a, of a beautiful magazine like that. Uh, the Gorman have been working with Monotype on uh, sort of raiding their archives um, for, for new versions and new cuts and new characters of some of their, their best fonts. So there's more typographic discoveries, I think, in the issue. So I'm looking forward to that. So that, that's the next one of those. and the, So we do those monthly here. We also hire out the shops opening. Again, we have a launch party or a, an event with a partner here as well. Um, and then also annually... Uh, we hold the modern magazine, which was first happened when the book of the same name came out, uh, and that was a celebration of the book and then that was it was deemed successful enough and enough people sort of said, "You should do it again that we did do it again and now this year we 're doing the fourth edition of that, which takes place at central saint martin 's here in London on uh, the twenty seventh of october and that that 's a whole day of talks um, it 's become quite a significant event in the in the calendar, I think for editorial people. Uh, about 200 250 people there, and we've got people from I mean, big and small. We've got the great director of the New York Times, so for on one, on one level of, of scale, and down to the editor and founder of the Real Review, which just published their first issue of a very small architectural review, and everything in between. I mean, oh, and actually, talking about vice, we've got uh, someone from vice coming along to talk about about exactly what we were talking about, the growth, the change from it starting as a magazine and, and, and now having so many channels.
2: Last question or second to last question, actually, where can people find you online in, if they want to check out what you're doing, just maybe drop your handles or. Oh,
1: well, it's it's simple across the board. It's just mag culture. So on, uh, the website is magculture.com. Twitter is mag, at at magculture. Instagram is at magculture. And uh, if you want to get in touch, it's jeremy at magculture.com.
2: Fantastic. And then the last question I always ask, it's a bit more of a deeper question, a bit more philosophical. I hope, um, yeah, it's always, a it Mm -hmm. stumps people. But uh, if you could uh, give one piece of advice that helps people live a better and more meaningful life, um, maybe something that you've learned along the way, what would it be?
1: Um, I would say just because something seems really difficult to do and maybe some people say you shouldn't or can't, it shouldn't stop you doing it, have a go at it, because that's how you do things, you don't, you know that's how you achieve things and anybody that's ever managed to do anything did it against the advice of someone or against the wishes of someone so you know try it and if you make a mistake learn from it and then do something else and try again
2: fantastic uh thank you everyone for listening thank you to jeremy pleasure thank you for inviting me best luck for the future and i'm sure uh, we'll see each other again thank you everyone bye for now Hey everyone, just a little send-off before you get on with the rest of your day. Uh, If you really enjoyed the show, please like and share it. It's uh, still a new project and that helps me to spread the word. Obviously, if you really enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you could subscribe via Stitcher, SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, For anyone who's feeling particularly generous, if you could leave a review on iTunes, it really helps with my ranking and helps me to get the show out to more people. And my final request, obviously this one is a big one. Uh, I recently set up a Patreon page, uh, which allows me to uh, get small contributions from you, the audience, to help me sustain the show, and also to help me improve the audio quality and attract more great guests. So if you're interested in uh, supporting the show at all, you can head over to that at patreon.com forward slash Ricky Richards, where you can contribute to the show from as little as £1 a month, which is 25p per episode. And for that, I will feature your name in the show notes of every episode, plus a link to a website of your choice. Obviously, I appreciate everyone who listens, but if you contribute, uh, that also helps me to make this more of a a full-time gig, which is a, a big aspiration of mine. So thank you to everyone who listens. I hope you have a great day wherever you are in the world, and bye for now. Thank you.